Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, visit therockonline.org. And now a message from The Rock of Gainesville. Good morning. Great to see all your beautiful faces this morning. Tonight at uh, 5 o'clock, we're going to wrap up this week of uh, prayer and fasting. And uh, I just want to thank all of you that have participated, taken part. We had 80 to 100 folks here every morning at 6, praying over our house and with us and for us. And yesterday we had a great time uh, with uh, all of our families. And those of you that couldn't make it, we prayed over you so you weren't left out. Uh, But thank you tonight at 5 o'clock. Uh, We're going to have a time of worship and share communion together as we wrap up our fast. So I'd encourage you to come be a part of that. And then this coming week, go get some rest. Amen. (laughs) Uh, I told the prayer team this morning, I'm tired. I I made the commitment to get up at five every day this week. And it was, I have to admit, rough. And, uh, but God's grace is sufficient, and uh, I uh, appreciate his strength, mercy, and grace. We're going to jump right in the Word this morning, so open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1 and John chapter 1, both uh, powerful scriptures here. And I began this last uh, Sunday night, and I'm going to try not to recap too much of what I shared last week, but... Uh, Holy Spirit has been speaking some things uh, in me the last several weeks over the holidays, and uh, I've been encouraged, I've been challenged, I've been convicted uh, on my own personal journey uh, in the walk with the Lord, and uh, so out of uh, my time in His presence, I'm going to let you in on a little bit of what He's been saying to me, okay? Amen to that? Genesis chapter 1, just uh, the first Four words of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. I was having a prayer walk yesterday and uh, ran into some of my neighbors, had a little chat, and then as I walked past them, I headed down the road. I was meditating on the things in my life, the new beginnings in my life that I have experienced over 60 uh, five plus years, and uh, and everything good always goes back to the beginning. Everything good in my life has a starting point, and my starting point was never with me. Amen. How many of you've had some bad starting points? How many of you have reaped a harvest from bad seed you planted? That would be everybody in the room, okay? Just so you raised your hand, nobody else did. You think, wow, I must really be terrible. No, you're not. You're just honest. We've all reaped harvest of bad seed. And thankfully and hopefully you're on this path now to beginning to reap a good harvest. How many of you like good over bad? So in the beginning, God. And then in John chapter 1, beginning with verse 1, turn this mic off for a minute. Sorry about this, but I got to blow my nose. Thank you. Aren't you glad that wasn't magnified? (laughs) 
Last week, my spiritual son, Savin Wilbekin, who pastors Lifesong Church in, in uh, Tampa. Savin's <laughs> going to love this because he listens to the service right after he finishes preaching on his way home. So, Savin, I'm talking about you. So, we were playing golf over in St. Augustine with his brother and my brother-in-law. And uh, I ran in to go to the restroom before we got started, and I was in the back of the men's locker room, and all of a sudden I heard this loud blowing, like, like a, a, a truck horn. And I started laughing because I knew it was Savin. I know the sun so well, I know his nose blowing. And it is loud. I mean, I don't even know how he does that without blowing his nostrils out. But, but uh, I walked out laughing. He turned around and saw me. He said, what are you laughing about? I said, oh, nothing. <laughs> In the beginning, that has nothing to do with the word this morning. <laughs> Forgive me, Savin. Uh, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Nothing. Nada. I don't care what the unbelieving world has to say. I don't care what they think happened in their scientific minds of their big booms and theories. I think one thing I have come to believe in the midst of three years of this COVID ordeal is that the science experts are pretty much only experts in their own mind. Because they change like the weather. But God's word never changes. In the beginning was God. All things that were made and nothing that was not made, everything that was made comes from God. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So we have a right as believers because we've experienced that beginning, that new beginning in our life that came through a surrender of our heart, soul, mind, and body, the realization one day in our life that we desperately needed God. We needed to get back to that in the beginning God thing. And because we did and we surrendered and we knelt down before the Lord, we invited Jesus into our heart and into our life, a new beginning became evident in our lives. We got up from the altar or wherever we were, whatever place we were experiencing that salvation, and if we'd have looked in a mirror, everything would have looked the same in the natural. But when we look into that mirror with spiritual eyes, we realize we are about to enter on a path that is new. And all the things of our past, Scripture calls them the old things. They pass away. And everything becomes new. We have the privilege of beginning to allow the Spirit of the living God to change us from the inside out. So every person who surrenders to Christ and receives him 
has a new beginning. So no matter how young we are or old we are, we start this process. Every birthday, every new year, every new day has an opportunity for a new beginning. Today is the day of the Lord. Today is the day of salvation. Yesterday's gone. It's history. It's behind us. Tomorrow might be here. If Jesus tarries, another sun will rise or the earth will turn. And it'll be another new day. And with everything new comes an opportunity to deal with the things of our past that need to become that old man that passes away. We're going to schedule another baptism here soon um, on our first Wednesday night, um, night of worship. And the beauty about baptism, water baptism, is we come into an alignment with what Jesus Christ did when he went to the cross for our benefit. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ describes everything that's important in yours and my life. The old man dies with Christ, goes into the grave. The new man rises up with Christ in the resurrected power of the living God. And all of a sudden, and that's why, that's why public communion, I mean public baptism is so important, is that believers get the opportunity to say without shame or fear, I am no longer ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation in my life. My life has been made new. And some folks go, well, you know, here at The Rock, we have so many baptisms that involve uh, 80% children. Man, you ought to be shouting. You ought to be rejoicing when our kids are getting baptized at six, seven, eight, nine years of age. I was eight years old when I was baptized. I never needed to get rebaptized. You say, well, pastor, did you always walk right with God? No, I've, I made some stupid decisions in my walk and on my journey. But I never, never forgot the foundation of my life. And even though from 8 to 18, trying to walk with God without the Holy Spirit was an up and down road, and, and it, it just seemed like almost impossible. But at 18, when I invited the Holy Spirit of God into my life, and my life radically changed. Did I become perfect? Absolutely not. Ask my wife. She's lived with me for 43 years. She can tell you all my imperfections. She won't because she covers me. All right, I'm going to use some of y'all as an illustration here in a second. I recognize your voices. I know who said what. When all our new beginnings begin with God, we can live out our life and finish the race as Apostle Paul did by declaring, I've run the race, I've kept the faith, I've finished the course that was set before me. And hear me, church, that time is coming quicker than most of us realize. We should not live our lives as believers in and out of sin and in and out of going back to the grave and resurrecting the old man 
and allowing the old man to do things that we know is not life to our spirit, man, that brings nothing but regrets. That's why, it's one of the reasons why I hate divorce so much in the house of God, in the family of God. Because as believers, when a man and woman love Jesus and are living together, divorce should never be an option. Arguments will be an option. Maybe even the thoughts of murder. But not divorce. Because we have to get back to the place of dying. Going on a 30-second marriage getaway right here with you. If you're married, your life is not a life of compromise. I don't believe that. A lot of people preach that. We just need to compromise our marriage. We'd be okay. No, you, compromise. You're always mad when you compromise. Laying down your life is a whole different ballgame. Forgiveness is massive in marriage. If you're married and you have not yet learned the art of forgiveness, asking for forgiveness or forgiving your spouse, you're going to be a miserable person. But quitting should never be an option. Ooh, three of us. Amen. Quitting should never be an option. Dying to self should be the option. It's not always fun. It's not always easy. But it's what produces life. I learned the art of divorce. My mom and dad married and divorced each other three times. Found out later in life, my mom had actually been married to another man at 17 years of age before she married my dad at 18. Wow. And then after mom and dad were finally through when all seven kids were grown and out of the house, then my dad remarried two other women and divorced them. I look at it a whole lot like Dating in high school. I learned how to break it off. Divorce. That's what marriage in high school will get you. I mean dating in high school. It'll get you marriage and then divorce. Unfortunately. Unless both parties come to a place where they learn how to die and let the new beginning of God begin to be manifested in their life. So before Suzanne and I got married 43 plus years ago, we made the covenant. We hated divorce. So our covenant was that word would never exist in our marriage. So we have never once, ever in 43 plus years of marriage, ever threatened the other one with divorce. You make me so stinking mad. I wish to God I would, had not made that covenant with you that I could talk about. I could threaten you with divorce. No. Because the minute you start using it, it will, it's seed that was planted is eventually going to bring a harvest. Now listen to all of you that have gone through, suffered divorce. You know what I'm talking about. Divorce never produces life. Nothing but regret, regret, and regret. 
But there's nothing you can do about it now. It happened 10 years ago, 20 years, 40 years ago. But you can make a covenant fresh with God. That the things that bring death will no longer be the fruit of your life. So you make a covenant, make a decision to start walking out those new beginnings that God has. Man, God's forgiveness is awesome, isn't it? So, so divorce is not the sin that you can't repent of. But, but you know as well as I do, you will live with the fruit of it the rest of your life, especially if children are involved. But his grace is sufficient, and we walk out things because of the beauty of his goodness in our lives. He forgives, he redeems, he restores, he heals, he helps. His, his goodness, his kindness, his mercy is everlasting. Amen? So don't walk out of here today if you've, if you've walked through a life and, and suffered a divorce or maybe a couple of them and think, oh my gosh, I'm just, I have no hope. Yes, you do. Because that becomes a part of your past. Amen? Say amen to that. That becomes a part of your past. So I want to get back to Genesis uh, chapter 3. I'm going to read you these scriptures that I told you last week I was going to read, didn't get to. Genesis chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Now, understand, in the beginning, God, chapter 1, chapter 2 of Genesis is all about the creation. God spoke, God spoke, God spoke. All these amazing things happened. God uh, collected up some dust, and he created man, and he breathed the breath of life into this man, Adam, and the man became a living creature, Adam. Got up, and he began to walk with God. God brought in chapter 2 all the animals of the kingdom by, and Adam got to name them giraffe, elephant, uh, horse, cow, deer, uh, uh, birds, robins, uh, blue jays. He, I mean, it had to be a long day. I mean, Adam's just standing there, okay. You look like an elephant, okay. You look like a giraffe, you know. And he names them all, and it says God looked and realized that there was nothing in in the animal kingdom that would fit Adam. And so he caused Adam to have a deep sleep. The first, the, the first anesthesiology. I mean, God put him to sleep and then went in and took a rib out of him. How many of you think Adam was happy he was asleep? And he woke up and this woman's laying beside him. And that's how she got her name. Whoa, man. Woo. She was naked. And he liked what he saw. Wyatt, your mom will explain that later at home. Or your dad. But it's, it's creation. And, and, and Adam goes, wow. And they began to walk every day in the cool of the evening with God. Now you go over to chapter 3, and it says that all of a sudden, there's a conversation going on between one of God's animal kingdom with God's man kingdom. The serpent who was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made, he said to the woman, 
Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Can I just pause there and say to us as believers, this is a good life lesson about you shouldn't be hanging around talking to the devil. Amen? When he comes a-talking, you need to be doing like Jesus did. Get behind me, Satan. The Word of God says. That's why it's so important that we know what the Word of God is. It's not time to run and go, oh my gosh, I know there's a scripture in there somewhere that will help me here. No, no, we need to know what the Word of the Lord says. Because of the three temptations that Satan brought against Jesus came out of the garden and are the same temptations that we as mankind are suffering today. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he foolishly ate. Think about it. I've always kind of in my mind thought that Eve was out on a walk by herself, runs into uh, the snake, has the conversation, eats the apple, and then uh, goes and finds Adam somewhere in deep prayer before the Lord and says, hey, Adam, man, uh, this fruit is really good, but that's not how it happened. See, in my mind, that's how it always happened growing up when I didn't have the knowledge of the Word of God. But the minute you have the knowledge, you realize Adam's standing there witnessing this conversation. Several things should have happened. He should have covered his wife. He should have said, hey, don't be talking to him. But he stood and listened. She took the fruit and ate and went, whoo, this is good. He takes it and eats. And immediately they realize that they are naked. And they run and hide themselves. God comes along. Let me just summarize the rest of this for the sake of time. And says, Adam, every day, God's out walking through this beautiful garden that he had not only created, but given mankind to love and experience and rule and reign and have dominion over. Adam. Adam. Yo. Adam. Where are you? The first game of hide and seek. Adam finally realizes God's God. And he knows where he is. He's just waiting for Adam to come clean. 
And Adam says, uh, we're over here hiding. God says, why are you hiding? Because we're naked. Who told you you were naked? And then the blame game begins. All married folks know what this game is. <laughs> or all kids that grew up in a home like me that had parents that did what I, mine did know the blame game. It starts. And the reality is is that in the natural, Adam and Eve did not drop dead when they ate the fruit, but they spiritually died. And I said to the prayer team this morning, all of our problems in the world today go back to a piece of fruit. All that we walk through, all the temptations that we deal with, the struggles in our world, the, the battles, the wars, and the rumors of wars, and the, and the horrible murders that have taken place over uh, humanity, over uh, all of mankind's time on this earth. All these evil things come back to this piece of fruit that they took and ate, and their eyes were opened. And then God presents, pronounces judgment on Adam and Eve and on the snake. Say, so, Pastor, what does this have to do with a good, encouraging message of on, uh, in the beginning? Because we as believers, this whole week of prayer and fasting wasn't because we were trying to get God to change his mind about certain things. As believers, we're trying to get ourselves in a position where we can hear God clearly. And that through hearing clearly, many of us, especially the dads in the house, many of us experience some kind of conviction of how we need to better cover our wife or better cover our children or better lead our home and, and wives get, get convictions of the things Holy Spirit speaking into their life about how to be a better helpmate, a helpmeet to their husband, how, how do they together as a husband and wife lead their family and, and cover their children and protect them and watch over them. Prayer and fasting doesn't change God, it changes us. That's why the enemy wants to work so hard to keep you from a time of prayer and fasting in your life. And when we wrap up tonight, we're not wrapping up fasting or prayer for the rest of the year. Come back and do it again next year. No, we wake up tomorrow and hopefully have the same covenant commitment, passion. I need to hear from God. I need to hear from God. I need to be in the Word. I've been because of uh, some things that, that are going on. Obviously, um, I'm not here at the office as much as I used to be. And so uh, my time in the Word, I, I've had, you know, one of the positive things out of this journey that I'm on is I have a lot more time to be in the Word, not to prepare for a message, just to read the Word of God. I'm already on day 17 of my new Bible reading plan. Today's the eighth day of the, of the month. And it's not because I'm super spiritual. It's because I get into this stuff, and man, I have not been able to shut it down, especially Genesis. If you folks have not read Genesis lately, there's not a movie Hollywood's ever produced better than Genesis. I mean, it's got everything imaginable in it. In it. And I was reading this morning where, I, uh, where Isaac... Um, 
his boys, Jacob and Esau, and their battle that they've gone through and the separation and, the, and all that they went through. And now Jacob is coming back to, uh, in obedience to the word of the Lord to see his brother again. And so he's trying to make all these amends before he gets there. And he puts everybody out in front of him. <laughs> that boy's got a lot of courage, doesn't he? I'm thinking, Jacob, come on, man up, son. He's sending the shepherds and the, and the cattle. Everybody's out in front of him. And when his brother Esau comes along, one of the first things he says is, what is that entourage out there in front? I've been walking past your people for a couple of days. What, you know, what's going on? And, 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 ja- and, and Jacob says to Esau, I was afraid. And so I want to give you all these gifts. Esau said, I don't need your stuff. Esau wanted the relationship restored back with his brother. And in the midst of it, in a conversation he's having with God alone, away from the wives, the concubines, the sons, God says to Jacob, I'm going to change your name. Because your name has negative connotations, not to the rest of the world, but to you, Jacob. He said, I'm going to change your name. You're going to be called Israel from now on. I don't have time to preach that. I just want to throw that little... That's what you get when you get in the Word of God. There's no movie out there, not even Avatar, okay? All the blue people. (laughs) Mankind has since the garden, listen to this, wanted to lead God out of creation and out of our lives. Communism... And all the other isms of the world is all about trying to convince ourselves that there is no God. The world wants to believe that we are our own gods. The days we are living in are both going to be exciting and dark. We don't have to fear it, though. Greater is he that is in us than he that is against us. And though there are dark days, those days, hopefully, will lead you into that place of a total, complete surrender to God, where you're not having to try to use your imagination to come up with something that that, that will, like Jacob, will justify your past, you will come to a place where you simply say, God, not my will be done. Taught this on Wednesday night here in our prayer time. Not my will, but your will be done, whatever it is. You know, I've talked often because of the privilege I've had to travel the world and the amount of missions trips that I've got to go on. I was talking to uh, one of the um, pastors this last week, and we were talking about, I, I made a statement to him, all the years of doing three to five or six missions trips a year enabled me the grace to stay as the pastor of this church. Because if we're not careful, 
One of the greatest attacks against men of God, pastors in America today, it's discouragement. And one of the things that helped me to overcome discouragement was to experience the life of the kingdom of God outside of America. Because we as Americans, we so think that all of Christianity is like this. Easy, peasy, no big deal, go to church on Sunday, try to be good. When most of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world today, it could very well cost them their life. This might be the last morning they get to have breakfast with their children because very possible they could be a martyr by the afternoon. We can't even comprehend that except through Hollywood and movies and the mindset of video. But there are those that it's common around the world. And yet around the world, there is this massive, amazing move of God in souls coming to Christ on a daily basis. I read the other day a stat that the Christians in China believe that by 2030, there will be more than 400 million sold-out believers in the nation of China. In the middle of communism and threat and being arrested and thrown in jail. You know what? That's about a whole bunch of million people more than even exist in the nation of America. We're a nation of what? 300 and 360, 360 million people. Pakistan, India, all these nations that are experiencing moves of God. So our battle comes back to this. In the beginning versus the world that we live in. And communism is probably one of just the, the, the chief ideas of how mankind wants to con- try to convince us that there is no God. You see, because if there is no God, then I have no moral obligation to live morally. I can do whatever I want. I can kill whoever I want, sleep with whoever I want, drink whatever I want, take whatever I want, if I'm my own God. I want to take just a minute or two to read an excerpt from uh, one of the men families in our church, Jeff Childers family. Uh, Jeff writes a blog called Coffee and COVID. And uh, on New Year's Eve, he wrote this humongous blog I'd call it an introduction to a book, Uh, but he says some things in the first part of this that have just stuck with me. In 1984, President Ronald Reagan posthumously awarded Whitaker Chambers, who I've never heard of, the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Chambers had died 20 years earlier after testifying in Congress against State Department officials and treasonous Soviet spy, Alger Hiss, who drafted the United Nations Charter allegedly on the United States behalf at Yalta. In 1952, Chambers published his autobiography called Witness, which became one of the most influential American anti-communist and conservative books in history. Quoting a few parts from the introduction in which Chambers, listen to this, 
fully expected to be assassinated, addressed his children to explain why he went public and testified about what the Russians were up to. Chambers answered questions that he knew his children would want answers to. And on the subject of communism, his answer was, communism enticingly offers man the chance to rid the world of God. Once and for all, and to become his own savior. Wow. That's not communism in Russia or communism in Cuba or communism in China. That's also communism in America, which is where the leadership of our nation somewhat unfortunately is. Communism, it's not new. It is, in fact, man's second oldest faith. Its promise was whispered in the first days of the creation. Under the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall be as gods. It is the great alternative faith of mankind. Like all great faiths, its force derives from a simple vision. Other ages have had great visions. They have always been different versions of the same vision. The vision of God and man's relationship to God. The communist vision is the vision of man without God. Man without God. That's what we're living in today. That's what so much of our prayer and intercession has to be about as we fight for the soul of America, fight for our nation, fight for our families, fight for our children, fight for our cities, fight for our counties. We have to have this passion to say, God is God and there is no other. He is the Lord God Almighty, and Him alone will me and my family worship. And then as fathers over our homes and grandfathers over our families, we stand up and pursue all that He has for us. To the believer who is sold out to Father God and His purposes in our lives, this season that we're living in, the season that we're walking through, it will be a time of great battles, but it'll also be a time of great victories. And there's no greater scripture, and I close on this, than what Jesus referenced when he spoke and John recorded it in John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus said, enemy will come to steal to kill and to destroy. Hear me this morning. The enemy of your soul wants to destroy your faith, your hope, your trust in Almighty God. He will bring everything, including the kitchen sink, at you to find where is the open door, the screen door, where is it in your life, in your home, in your marriage, in your family. What place can I get this person to cave in and turn their hope from God. As believers, you don't have to fear Satan because Jesus didn't end in that first line of that particular verse. But he declared boldly to not only the disciples of that day, but to us, the disciples of 2023, when he said, but I have come to give you life. 
And not just living, not just existing, but to give you life that's more abundant. Abundant life in God. So I go back to in the beginning in my life. You go back to the in the beginning in your, in your life. You look at the place where you've surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. And from that place on, you begin to walk full of faith, full of hope. No matter what ism comes against you, no devil of hell will be able to convince you. Nobody's going to be able to convince you. When you've experienced God, a relationship that's alive and powerful, and you hear God and he's talking with you through his word, by his spirit, through prophets, through apostles, through your pastors, through a brother or sister in Christ that have come to encourage you in the faith. That you will not lose hope. This year, no matter what last year was, the year before, this year, you need to come into it with a mindset that with God, this day is a new day for me. This year is a new year. It's a new beginning. And no matter what I've got to walk through, His grace will be sufficient in my life. He's got a purpose, a plan, a future, and a hope for every single one of us. From the youngest to the oldest. To those that are in this room, those that are watching online, and those that will listen to a podcast, and to all the other believers of great churches across this nation, God is speaking. And the church in America has got to wake up and begin to believe who we have been called to be and walk in the power in which he has given us. And know this, that in every family, you will have conflict. In the natural family at home, and in the spiritual family. Don't let the enemy of your soul rob you of the family. You're natural and you're spiritual. Know that you know that you know where you're supposed to be in God's house and then those brothers and sisters surround you and you surround them and together we stand up declaring, man, this is a great day, a great week, a great month, a great year. God has a plan for our lives. I can't wait to see what he's going to do in your life and in your life and in your life and in my life because he's not through with us. Amen? Amen. He's not through with us. There might be someone in this room today or many that have not yet surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. You're still struggling over there, communism and all the other isms and, and what you've been taught at the University of Florida or some college. Things are happening in your mind and yet there's a stirring in your spirit and soul today that there is something more than what all of those people have tried to convince you. There is a hunger stirring inside of you because God's knocking at your heart's door and he's wanting, to, oh, he's wanting you to open up your heart so he can come in and fill you with life and purpose and meaning and forgiveness and healing and cleansing. Why? So that you can be about a life that when it is over, and it will be one day, you will walk through the door of death and enter in and hear, well done, thou good and faithful, and you'll not have regret in your life. Life's too short to live with regret. So stop allowing the enemy to make you, help you, convince you to do stupid things that cause regret. Be faithful. Be faithful to God, His Word, His Spirit. Would you just bow your heads for a moment because I want to just speak to any of those that are in this room. Jesus is not Lord of your life because you have simply not surrendered 
And yet he's brought you here today. Maybe you're watching online and you have the same stirring in your heart. When I was eight years old and that preacher preached that revival night service and Holy Spirit began to speak in my life and I didn't even know it. I was eight years old. All I knew was that I needed God in my life. And I ran to an altar and asked Jesus to be Lord of my life and my life forever radically changed. Today, if you haven't had that radical love experience that the God who created you and formed you in your mother's womb and knew you before you ever came into this world, he loves you, he has thoughts for you that are good and not evil. And he's just waiting for you to open up your heart and say, Jesus, come in. It's not hard. It's simply a decision of choice. And if Jesus is knocking at your heart's door today, don't continue to close the door on him. If this morning you would give me the privilege to lead you in a prayer, you can simply say by the raising of your hand, Pastor, today I want Jesus. I'm tired of living with regret. I'm tired of trying to do it on my own. I'm I'm tired of trying to be convinced that there is no God when I know that there is a living God and you're it. Father, I need you in my life. If that's you with every head bowed, eyes are closed, believers are praying for you right now that you will come and be willing to open up and surrender that heart. If that's you today in this auditorium, would you just simply raise your hand? Let me acknowledge it and I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Yes, thank you. God bless you. This is your moment. Yes, God bless you, dear. Thank you. Yes, sir, God bless you. Not about religion, not about joining this church. It's about saying, Jesus, I need you in my life. These precious folks that raise their hand, there's another one in here. If that's you, lift it before the Lord and let me lead you in a prayer. Today is a day of salvation. Today is a day when your life can forever radically be changed. He loves you so much. If you're watching online, call in this week and let us know. I can't see you through that screen. But you know, and God knows. All right, I want to invite everyone to stand to your feet, please. Or stand. You have to stand on your feet. But (laughs) such a dumb statement we pastors make almost on a weekly basis. All kidding aside, what a great day to invite Jesus. One more time, anybody in this room, if that's you today, just lift up your hand. Let me lead you. Yes, God bless you. All right, listen, we're going to pray, and I'm going to invite everybody in this room to pray this prayer. But those of you that raised your hand, you pray this out of your heart. Say it with your lips. The Word says, if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you will be saved. Your journey will begin today. So pray this prayer with me. Father God, thank you for your love. Thank you for Jesus that was willing to pay a price so that I could be saved. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Today, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I acknowledge today I need you. So come into my life. I open up my heart. I open up my life. And I invite you to be my Lord to be my Savior. Father, help me 
to walk this walk of faith. I do it in faith today. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a praise for this. Prayer warriors, if you'll come to the front, prayer team. Father, I just pray over these precious souls. These that are in this room, those that were watching online that might have responded. I pray for them as we are here now to teach them, to lead them, to pray with them and over them, to teach them what the Word of God has to say, to help them to find the foundation of Christ in their life through the Word of God. I pray, Father, that 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 you have begun in their life, you will finish. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and fill them with your presence, with the presence of the living God, acknowledging that Jesus said, we have need of the Holy Spirit. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, do what you do well. Teach, encourage, convict, challenge, comfort, and heal. And I thank you, Father, for these precious souls today. In Jesus' mighty name. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, visit therockonline.org.